Well, today, God's presence is where we're headed. Habakkuk 2.14 says, The knowledge of the glory of the Lord will fill the whole earth as the water covers the seas. I don't know if you've been diving in the ocean, but there's nothing dry under the ocean. The water literally covers all the sea. The word knowledge, the Hebraic understanding is experience. There's no intellectual ascent without an encounter, without experience in the Hebraic mindset. So the, glory, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord means there's going to be encounters all over the earth of God's glory. That's where we're headed. It's not just pamphlets. It's not just tracks. It's not just sermons. It's not just speakers. It's not just short-term teams going all over the earth. It's his glory. And who carries his glory? His people. With unveiled faces, we all reflect as in a mirror the glory. You and I are to be reflectors of glory. That's who you are. And it's as in a mirror. That means you need to see his glory on you before you can emanate it out. That's why identity is so important. You need to know who you are and see him in you. Then you can reflect that. And then you're transformed by his spirit. 2 Corinthians 3, 18 is one of the most powerful verses explaining how we're transformed into his likeness by seeing him in yourself. Then you reflect it. We love our neighbor as you have to love yourself. You have to see the goodness of God in yourself. Then you can give it away. You're not going to second guess it. It's not going to be handing someone else, you know, handing food that someone else baked. It's it's genuine. But that knowledge of that glory is going to fill the earth. That's where we're headed. And it's all about his presence. His glory is not a word. It's him. The gospel's not four steps. It's Jesus. He is the good news. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. It's not about a conference. It's about him being the source of everything in life. This message, I believe, is the most important message. The most important because he is the most important, not just talking about him, not just living by his principles, not just by doing all the things he said. Yes, that's totally important, but it's nothing compared to him and encountering him night and day, day and night. First thing is God's presence sets us apart. I was on a flight back from Israel and seated next to an Orthodox rabbi, the curls, you know, in black and white, black hat. And we had a great conversation. He was so open to me. And I have an app on my phone that has the Judaism Tanakh. It's the you know, Hebrew scriptures, which is our Old Testament. But it's on, it's not a Christian app. It's like a Judaism one that has it written just the way they have it written. And so I, but I have it saved to one chapter in the Bible. Can anyone guess which chapter it is? (laughs) Isaiah 53. (laughs) And every time I'm with someone and I have them read it to me and them tell me what it says, he basically preached the gospel to me. So, well, there's this Messiah that's going to die to pay for our sins. And he just, I'm like, wow, doesn't that sound similar to Christianity? And he's just looking at me like, ah, what do I do with this? Because he told me the gospel before I confirmed it. Didn't that sound like Jesus and being the Messiah? And wasn't he Jewish? Yeah, I think he was, you know, he's talking to me and we got, it was so good. And we're just, you know, the thing is when you're sharing the gospel, you don't have to get weird. You don't have to have 20 prophetic words and words of knowledge. And 
you know, you don't have to shout or spit or cry. You just, you just talk. How do you share the gospel? Well, how do you talk to your friends? That's how you should share the gospel. You be you. I mean, you know, it's the truth that says free. The truth is aletheia. That means to be genuine or real. You don't have to argue that God, Jesus is better than Muhammad or Hinduism. Jesus is the truth. He's the only real one. He's the only genuine one. So we talk about him. You don't have to prove it. He is it. You just share this simple gospel, which is foolishness to those perishing. You know, it's like, what am I going to tell them that there's this guy that said he was the son of God that died on a piece of wood and then his blood actually forgives you and you need forgiveness. And I mean, think about that. That's, that sounds foolishness if I was making it up, but it's the power of God for all who believe. And you don't need to convince anyone. So I'm just relaxed talking to him. And I'm, I just said, hey, why do you wear the, why do you guys wear the black and the white so much? You know, like, and, and he kind of, you know, laughed a little bit. And then he looked at me and said, well, it's to distinguish us as the children of God. And my heart sank. And the Holy Spirit reminded me of this verse. When the Lord said to Moses in Exodus 31, 33, 1, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, go to the land I promised him, oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I'll give it to your descendants. So God's telling Moses, go to the promised land. I'm blessing you. And then God says, I'll send an angel before you. I'll drive out all your enemies, the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, whatever other ites. He said, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. Go to this place of prosperity and blessing and fruitfulness. But I will not go with you because you're stiff-necked people I might destroy on the way. I mean, God almost killed them all just a chapter before. So he's, you know, he's just like, I don't want to do that again. And then what was Moses' response? Moses said to the Lord, if your presence does not go with us. Do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? In the law, in the Torah, all the rabbis, they, this is what God wanted to distinguish his people from everyone else was not wearing black and white. It was by his presence being with them. This is so important. You want to know the greatest technique, the greatest you know, way of modeling the gospel of bringing the glory of God is encounter his presence and bring his presence wherever you go. That will distinguish you. All healing, his presence. Deliverance, his presence. Every gift of the spirit, his presence. Supernatural love, his presence. Authority, power, his presence. Peace, supernatural peace in crisis and trauma and the terrorism right now, his presence. And this is the question I want to ask you. Are you content at fulfilling your destiny and being successful on earth without his presence. That was the question. God said, you go ahead, I'll send an angel. He's gonna fight all your battles. You're gonna get the fulfillment of all the promises. You're gonna actually live in the promised land. You're gonna drink and eat the milk and honey. You're gonna have everything. And my prayer is that you would never, never be satisfied with success, fulfilling your destiny, walking in your identity, being successful in ministry and business and your family being blessed and without his presence. Success in this life is walking with God, period. If you get that, you can go through anything 
So you're not going to be circumstantially up and down. You're going to be solid. I've been experiencing challenges in the last few days. And my, I got home one day, a couple days ago, and I just was like, I felt like I was dehydrated, like I was, you know, my, part of my life blood was just draining out. And I just, I didn't even say, I just walked up and I laid down and I just, it's like, I couldn't even pray. I just was there. But acknowledging him. And it was like I got dethawed. And I just started breathing. And my heart started beating again. And it was like I just started getting feeling back emotionally and mentally. And I don't know how long. It was a couple of hours. And I just, something shifted. And then I got up and wrote these notes. <laughs> and I went outside. This was, and I just started enjoying the goodness of God. True joy is him, not circumstances. So we were created to walk in God's presence. It's your DNA. It's why you were born. It's why God created you. This is not just, okay, this is an important thing to put in your belt buckle. It's an important key to success. This is the reason you live. If you look, Genesis 1, it says God created, he planted a garden in the east, in Eden. There he put the man he'd formed. So God created us in a garden. He walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. The most, when the sun's setting, the birds are singing, it's the most peaceful time. And he walked with Adam and Eve. And what was the environment? You, I love the looking up words and understanding the roots of words. But this is a simple one. It's, I looked up Eden, or Eden in Hebrew. It means, what does it mean? Eden literally means pleasure. Pleasure. Most, um, you know, interpreters, they... Translators put paradise because it sounds a little less edgy. But it literally means pleasure. Created you to live in his pleasure. And we were created for his good pleasure. Ephesians 1 says that. For we were adopted. He predestined us to be adopted as sons according to his will and pleasure. You were created to walk with God. It was not about what we could do for God. It's not about even just being good kids. It's about connection. It's about, I mean, Song of Solomon says, with one glance of our eyes, his heart's ravished. When you take the time to acknowledge him and look to him, it ravishes his heart. It gives him pleasure. And how sad could it be that the ones he created for that pleasure with him just put our heads down and work for him our whole life and check in every Sunday and every Wednesday and every prayer meeting and then we just get back instead of just constantly aware of him, con connecting to him, in our, just in our thoughts, our hearts. That's why you were created. David is one of the, my heroes in this area. And this verse is one of the most powerful verses that I believe no matter what your circumstances are, David went through such hardship. He was a man of war. He fought so many wars that God said, your hand, too much blood's on your hands, you can't build the temple. Even though he had all the money for it, all the drawings written up, God said, nope, you have to have it. Your son will build it. David had a hard life, but this is what he said. In the midst of all the trials and all the pain and all the fighting, he said, you've shown me the path of life. What is it? What is the path of life? What is the meaning of life? Even joy in your presence and eternal pleasures at your right hand. This is the meaning of life. This is how you walk with God. No matter where you are, what you're going through, who you're with, there's life. He created you for life. He had a tree in the garden 
called the tree of life. It's not about knowledge. It's not about knowing good and evil. It's about knowing life. And what does that look like? Joy in his presence. No matter what. No matter what. And temporary pleasure. No. Eternal pleasure. At his right hand. Satan tries to get us to be distracted and pull us away by temporary pleasure. But this is why we were created. Another thing, God's presence determines our quality of life. As I'm getting a little bit more aged, or agged, aged, I've realized, you know, I, I, I have goals. I have ambitions. I'm a visionary. I want to see crazy things happen. And I have, and I'm going to see a lot more, I believe. But less and less do I want to just do these cool things. More and more, I'm like, you know what I want? I want a quality of life. I want to have a really happy, joyful, unified, powerful marriage. And I want to have sons and daughters that I love and that I pour into and that love and are just raised up for the, you know, God's destiny and calling. That's my, I want to have a, I want to have, I want to walk in peace. For years, I didn't walk in peace. I was running to just get stuff done. And I've realized God's the one that gets it all done. I just need to enjoy the journey. Like it's going to happen whether I'm stressed or I'm peaceful. He's still going to accomplish his will through my life. Come on. He told me, it's up to you how you want to walk. I'm going to do it all through you. You're not going to miss it. I used to be so worried of missing it. Quality of life. His presence will determine your quality of life. It's not money in your bank account. It's not being popular. Let's look at this. David had a tough life. I'm going to just tell you a little bit about David before I read this. Do you guys remember? Think about David. First time we hear of him, his father doesn't even acknowledge that he's one of his sons. He's hidden. He's, well, for whatever reason, he's ashamed to the family. They don't even consider him a son. Later in this book of Psalms, David said, I was born in sin. Most scholars believe he was an illegitimate child. And then you see when he goes and visits his brother, brothers, you know, to bring them lunch at the battlefield, they mock him and put him down. What are you doing here? And then he kills Goliath and he gets favor and he starts working in the kingdom with Saul. The demons in Saul turn and try to kill him. His first mentor tries to kill him. And then that wasn't the first time. It was over and over again. Saul tried to kill him. And he never resisted, never rebelled, honored the king. And then he sees this daughter of the king like, oh my gosh, his passion is aroused. What can I do? Kill 200 Philistines and, and bring parts of them, God said. It's a PG version. Um, and David does. He gets this daughter, Mucha, and he's, he's so excited. And then he comes to town one day worshiping extravagantly. She looks down and despises him. Tells everyone else. Puts him down. Shames him in a culture where she should have honored him. And he doesn't resist her. Then he does his best, fighting for the kingdom, wins battle after battle. One time he's caught, and he easily could have been killed, and, and he's like, God, what do I do? And it, it says in the, that he feigns that he's mad. He begins foaming at the mouth, clawing wood. So they said, he's a crazy man, let him out just to survive. What a crazy life. And his own son, beloved son, usurps his authority, turns the people against David, and takes his kingdom. And David has to run from his son. This is David. You want to tell me quality of life? 
Was that quality of life? To be betrayed, mocked by those you love most, fighting every day, not able to build the temple that you brought to the the prophet and the prophet said, God said, do what's ever in your heart and then you can't do it. Think about David's life. What does David say at the end of his life? How he is. Let's look. These are the last words of David. And this is Andy David's describing himself here. He says, the inspired utterance of David, son of Jesse, the utterance of the man exalted by the most high. David looked at his life and said, God inspired me and he exalted me. The man anointed by the God of Jacob, the hero of Israel's songs, other translations says the writer of Israel's songs. He's like, you know what? I'm a songwriter. Anyone else a songwriter? And I'm anointed. God just put his spirit on me. The spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. Do you see how much of David's focus at the end of his life was all that God did in him and to him? Had nothing to, he didn't say, man, I went through a lot of hardship. Let me tell my testimony. My wife rejected me. My son, like, he had the perfect country song. <laughs> Come on. Actually, the book of Psalms are the original country songs, actually. <laughs> That's free advice, you songwriters. Just take one of them, get a guitar. But it was all about what God did. Do you see that? Then he said, the God of Israel spoke. He's like, the God. No, the rock of Israel. God was his rock. He didn't trust in any, anyone else. He had no one else. The God of the rock of Israel said to me, when one rules over people in righteousness, when he rules in the fear of God, and then he starts describing himself. That one, he's like the light of morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning. Like the brightness after rain that brings grass from the earth. He's at the end of his life, all the trouble and hardship, what does he think about himself? I had a cloudless life. I'm like glistening grass after the rain. Like the beginning of the day. That's, I'm, I feel refreshed. I'm shining. This is quality of life. It's not your circumstances that give you quality of life. It's not your external world. It's your internal world. And then he goes on even more. He says, if my house were not right with God, surely he would not have made with me an everlasting covenant. God committed himself to me. It was arranged and secured in every part. Surely he would not bring fruition my salvation and grant me my every desire. What? At the end of his life, he's saying, God arranged it all and secured it all. All his covenants, he did it all. He worked it all out. And then he talks about his family. His family was so messed up, but he says, he arranged and secured um, where did he say that? Make me ever like, reigns and secure and everything. He would not bring fruition my salvation. Grant me my every desire. Oh, if, if my house were not right with God. His house is his family. At the end of his life, his family was right with God. And then he granted him his every desire. Every desire David had was fulfilled. That's our God. And what was the key? The key was the presence of God. What was David's prayer? I have it somewhere. Right here. One thing I asked from the Lord. This only, this is only do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. He couldn't, he couldn't be there very much. He was a warrior. He was the king. But that's his desire. That's what he thought of. That's what he focused on every day.
to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. This is the key to the quality of life, is dwelling in the Lord's presence, gazing on his beauty and asking him lots of questions. If you don't believe me, thank you for that. Yeah, I love that. If you don't believe me, here is the words of the, one of the most wealthy, most rich. Uh, he had all the girls, all the gold, and all the glory. Solomon had 300 wives, 700 concubines. He had all the women in the world he wanted, and more than he wanted, probably. I'm like, Lord, one is enough. No. Hallelujah. I have an amazing wife. Hallelujah. She's amazing. Um, Solomon had so many horses that he got from Egypt and their chariots that next to the temple, there's this thing called the, um, it's Solomon's stables. He had to build tons of stables just, so he had like all the cars in the world, the fastest cars, nicest, most expensive car, that's the equivalent. And then he was known as, and Jesus even affirmed, the most wise man to ever live. So he had, and there's no wars this whole reign. Everyone's scared of him. Everyone made treaties with him. Scholars say he's probably the most wealthy, powerful ruler in world history. If you count up all the gold that David secured and that he gained, and silver and all the rest, it was billions and billions of dollars. So he had money, power, wisdom, favor. Not one battle. All the women, all the cars. And what was the conclusion at the end of his life? Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. His identity is, I'm just a teacher. I just talk. Everything is meaningless. Is that a quality of life? In the world's eyes, he had the highest quality of life. Of making many books, there's no end. So much study, where's the body? Even what he did that was anointed by God, all of wisdom, he was tired. He was just studying and writing. There was no presence. No intimacy. Nothing in that is about God. Do you see that? It doesn't mention God. And when he does mention God, this is what his attitude is. For God, what's his perspective? Will bring every deed into judgment. His perspective on God is God's going to judge. Including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. His perspective is God's just going to judge you. Good, bad, good, bad. No intimacy. Presence is the source. His presence is key to your quality of life. If you're not experiencing quality of life that you want to, don't look for another job. Don't look for another friend, another spouse, another fix, another false comfort, another town, another church. You need the presence of God. We determine how much we encounter God's presence. You can't blame anyone else. God is doing everything he can to encounter you the most he can right now. The only thing hindering that encounter is you. How do we do this? God said, without faith, it's impossible to please God. This is the key to encountering his presence. This is how. Because anyone who comes to him, so when you, how do you encounter him? You must believe that he exists. Now you might say, Todd, that's very elementary. I want you to take it in a practical application. When you say, like even, oh God, some of us just say that. Like it's just, it's just words. It's, there's no reality to it. What he's saying, when you come to God, you have to stop and go, he's right here. 
He's right here. He exists right here. This is really important. This is how you encounter him constantly. So you have to believe he exists constantly. And faith is where you believe what you don't see. You're sure what you hope for. So when you come to him in faith, you're, you're expecting him to encounter you. And that he rewards those who earnestly seek him or diligently seek him. So you expect him. He's there, but he's going to do something. You're going to receive something from him. What's reward mean? It's something you receive, something that benefits you, something that you want, something good. So you expect him to give you, do something that's good, that's going to bless you. It's going to fulfill you. It's going to surprise you. That's how you do this. This was written, this is the context of Enoch. And I think I shared this before, but Enoch, the verse before that says, Enoch was known as someone who pleased God. How did he please God? He believed God was there all the time and God wanted to give him good things. And then it says, and Enoch was no more because God took him away. How much better can that get? You keep expecting more from God every time because you have faith, you're believing is there and you're going to encounter him. Pretty soon you're going to end up in heaven. That's how this thing works. The more you seek and the more presence you get, the more heaven you get. The more of heaven you walk in until you're just literally there. How much heaven do you want to walk in? How much do you want to encounter? It's up to you. It's not up to the church. It's not up to school supernatural life or Caleb company. It's up to you. Do you want to be known as someone who pleases God? What pleases God who's created you for his pleasure? It's for relationship. Do you see this? Encountering him pleases him. When you please him, he gives you rewards, which is more of him. It's more of heaven. Pretty soon, you're just walking around earth and heaven's just spilling off you everywhere. There's a book um, that I read a long time ago, and I just want to recommend it by Brother Lawrence called The Practice of the Presence of God. It's a simple book. Brother Lawrence wasn't named Brother Lawrence. He was given that name. He was born in France, and there was a 30-year war in Europe. The Swedes and the Germans were coming, and he, parents were peasants. They are poor. He had to join the army just to eat, and he got horribly wounded in his leg. He was lame, and he was raised, you know, in the Catholic church, and, and at the end of his life, or after the war, he just went as a lay person to serve in a monastery. And he just worked in the kitchen, but he started encountering God. And one of the things he said, um, he said, lift up your heart to him. Sometimes at your meals while you're eating. And sometimes when you're in company with lots of people. The least little remembrance will always be acceptable to him. He's nearer to us than we are aware of. It's that least little remembrance. All day. All night. That little like, hey God, just ravishes God's heart. Invites heaven to you. And finally, I just want to end with God's presence conquers fear. I think the thing that hinders God's presence the most is fear. Religion hinders God's presence. What does religion produce? Romans 8 says, the law brings fear of punishment. That's what Solomon's conclusion was of God. He was, all he knew was religion. Fear of punishment. Fear will paralyze you Fear of failure, fear of success. Fear, 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 fear of man's a snare. 
many of us are not encountering the fullness of God because of fear. And I just want to share a quick story. Um, this is kind of a practical story, but I was in Norway about a month ago and had a day off with one of my sons. Moses, raise your hand. He was with me. And a few of my team. Yeah, Ryan, Lexi were with me. And, and another guy, Hunter. We love to travel as teams. I believe God's a family God, generational God. So we go, we had three generations ministering. They only asked for me to speak, but I brought four other people. It was awesome. And we had a day free. I didn't know that they had me double book or teach double. And so I got a free day. And they said, you should go to this, one of the biggest um, parks, national sites in all of Norway. So they said, here's the keys to the car. Just go. And we just, I drove to ferries did GPS. We got there. We started hiking and we hiked the wrong way. Had to go back. It was just, we're just going for it, which I love to do. Took two and a half hours. Walked through this snow. This was a picture. I think even Mariah took that picture, but this is a picture on the way up. That's a frozen pond. We finally get to the top and it's called Pulpit Rock. It was in one of the last mission, was it? Mission Impossible movies. Um, and we get there, and I turn the corner, and I see this rock jutting out, and I'm like, and I, I still remember these Japanese tourists, and I was just like, no, get off the rock. I'm so scared. And I look, and there's like 2,000-foot drop right next to the, where, I was like, in America, there would be a handrail here. Like, <laughs> you guys are crazy. And, and I start leaning towards the mountain, and I make my own path up on the mountain. I'm just like, I'm not walking down there. And then Moses, who I thought was one of my most cautious children, just broke out of it this year. And he's walking up to the edge. I'm like, get back, get back. That's dangerous. And you know, I'm not a normally fearful guy, but I was petrified. And my stomach dropped and on my legs, I was like, what is going on? And we we're sitting there, we had some lunch. And then I, we go back to take some pictures and I'm like, uh, you know, like 10 feet, 10 yards away. And I, and I'm not, I just, all of a sudden I was like, I'm tired of this fear. And I, so I did a little look up to God, like, God, what is going on? Help me with this fear. And I invited God into the fear. I invited him into my shakenness. And I heard him speak one thing. He said, Todd, look up. And I was so focused on the cliff and all the danger. And I, so I looked up and I started seeing the landscape. I saw these hills in the distance. I saw the clouds and all of a sudden the fear just drained out of me. And I just was filled with this peace and this joy of how beautiful everything was. I was like, this is amazing. No fear of the edge anymore. It was supernatural. And Moses is like, dad, stand over there. I'm going to take a picture. And he ran down the path, turned around. And while he's doing that, I thought, you know what? I'm going to sit down. I feel no fear. And I, so I felt, you know what? I'm going to sit down on the edge. So I'm just sitting on this edge. And I felt so peaceful. I'm doing like the shaka, you know, hang loose Hawaiian kind of wave. And, and that's a zoom in shot. It's a little bit blurry, but this is the main shot. <laughs> and I had no fear. I felt so safe, so secure. Later, I looked at these pictures and I was like, what were you doing? <laughs> no, literally, fear tried to attack me like day after day just looking at this picture. <laughs> and I'm like, how did I? It was the presence of God. And so I just want to encourage you, um, can you stand up? And I just want to ask the worship team to come. Here's the last thing. They're like, most like, Dad, jump. So at my last picture, I'm jumping up there. <laughs> but this is the thing. I want us right now. Colossians 3, 1 to 2 says, set your heart on things above. I want you to lift your eyes up like God told me. Any of you going through any fear, any of you stuck, or if you're in such a successful place in the world's eyes, and you're like, you know what? I do not want Solomon's results of his inner life. I want Holy Spirit. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, 
not on earthly things. And I just want to encourage you, when I teach on God's presence, I, I like to talk about just the way he comes to us. And I love how Jesus describes Holy Spirit in John 3, 8. He says, the Spirit's like the wind. You can't tell where it comes from or where it goes. But some of you, I, even right now, I want you to experience the knowledge. I want you to experience the glory. Experience Holy Spirit right now. Some of you just need a refreshing wind. Just to lift off the dust, to lift off the heaviness. Jesus later in John 7 said the Holy Spirit's like rivers of living water coming up from the innermost place. John 7, 38. Some of you just need the water, the living water to brush up, to bubble up. To cleanse you from defilement. To wash you from... Even the greatest cleansing for wounds is water. Just to wash you. Then in Acts 2, 3... The manifestation of the Holy Spirit was like fire. The most hot part of the fire, the tongue of the fire. Just that can burn up the dross, can burn up all the things we've built. Can purify. Can heat you up when any place you're frozen in fear. And then Matthew 3.16, again, the Holy Spirit descended on Yeshua, on Jesus, like a dove. Just peaceful. Just graceful. So right now, Holy Spirit, I ask, would you come? Would you prime the pump in us to encounter you more? I just ask, Holy Spirit, would you descend like a dove on those that need just your gentle touch, that affirmation, my beloved son and daughter, whom I'm well pleased. Holy Spirit, would you bring the fire to those that have grown cold to those who've they're just their flame is barely flickering I pray God would you stoke their fire right now I just sense some of you right now just need to repent you need to repent means to turn to change your thinking so some of you right now have grown accustomed to the way you walk with God it's like this pattern this habit And you've realized your intimacy and the raw connection with God is not like it was. It's like the book of Revelation, you know, where he says your love has grown cold. And some of you just need to say, God, I want to be a child again. I want to just run to you. I want to make messes with you. I just want to cry out to you. Some of you literally need to sing songs like David. Sing country songs to God. Just pour out your heart. Some of you need just to yell. You just need to connect in a raw way with God. So I encourage you right now, before you leave, let's just, I'll just lead us in prayer in that. Father, we ask that you would just, I ask right now that you would turn my heart back to you that I'd walk in a vertical reality constantly. Gazing at you constantly, remembering you constantly in faith, face to face, face to face. And I turn from my self-focus, from trying to be successful, trying to be significant, trying to do your work instead of just enjoying you. Lord, I want to do your work out of a place of joy, out of a place of intimacy with you, walking with you. I just sense the Holy Spirit saying he's going to give a fresh anointing. So just open your hands up right now. I just believe there's another portion of his presence. You know, when we speak the word, it opens something up for an encounter. So I just, right now, in the name of Jesus, I ask for an encounter with God. 
I ask for dreams and visions like never before. I ask for visitations like never before. God, open eyes right now to the spirit realm like never before. Open hearts to encounter your love like never before. I pray for a depth of peace that goes deeper than ever before, of security, of comfort. God, I ask for joy to be erupted like never before. Fullness of joy. And Lord, most of all, I ask, would you fulfill the destiny that you created us for to live in pleasure of you, to be intoxicated by you, to be overwhelmed by you, to be in love with you more than anyone else on this earth, more than any spouse or any joy, any, any uh, like a hobby, anything else that we do that brings life. We ask, Lord, would you supersede it a hundred times, God? Captivate us, capture us. Hallelujah. I just want to encourage you, expect expect more expect more hope is what's required to believe God's going to reward you so I just pray an activation of hope right now hope for more hope for more hope for more more of him more of heaven more of his presence His presence gives you creative design. His presence gives you energy, gives you strength, gives you perseverance. His presence protects you. blessing Lord we receive we receive more there's more than we've ever had that you want with us and we lean in it so would you put your hand upon us Lord you put your hand of blessing on us Put your hand upon our forehead, Lord, and bless us. Put your hand upon us and secure us, keep us. Get close to us, Lord. Radiate in us and through us. And pour out your power on us, your grace. Lift up your countenance upon us. Saturate us with your peace, your presence and your peace. You said, Lord, that when we prayed this, you would put your name upon us. We want that. We need that. So we receive that. Adonai Vyishmarecha Ya'er Adonai Panav Alecha Vichemecha Isa Adonai Panav Alecha Vyesem Lecha Shalom May the God of hope fill us 
with all joy and peace as we trust in Him so that we, all of us, every single one of us, will overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We receive that in Jesus' name. filling, filling up a cup. Lord, we ask you to fill us all the way up. With everything you want to give us today, God, would you fill us up? Jesus, thank you that we are yours. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would just continue to work in us, continue to fill us. Lord, like Todd said, we don't want to go anywhere apart from your presence. Be with us this week, Lord. Holy Spirit, make us sensitive to you, make us sensitive to your presence. Help us to stop and listen when we get busy. Yeah. Jesus, we want to reflect you well. We want to carry you wherever we go. And we know that you've done something this morning. Yeah. So we receive you again today and we say yes to all that you've done. We say yes to everything that is to come. Yeah, in Jesus' wonderful name.